I'm Joel Parker. And I'm Brianna Draxler. This is How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. Today is Tuesday, May 8th, 2012. Coming up, what if you could find out about dozens of diseases all at once from just one tube of your blood? It might happen soon with proteonomics and a wellness chip. There'd be a simple home test, just like you do for your glucose, where instead of pricking yourself and measuring one thing, glucose, you prick yourself and you measure 5,000 things. We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. Scientists at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration have discovered a way to detect low levels of neurotoxins, such as domoic acid, in seafood. Domoic acid is produced by some marine algae and accumulates in the clams and mussels that eat the algae. Eating seafood with high levels of the toxin can cause seizures or short-term memory loss. It was first identified in 1987, when 100 people got sick from contaminated mussels. Ten years later, 400 sea lions died off the coast of the U.S. after eating anchovies loaded with the toxin. Domoic acid has been monitored in seafood since the early 1990s, but until now, it could only be detected at high levels. Kathy Lefebvre, NOAA fisheries biologist, discovered a biological marker for domoic acid in the blood of laboratory zebrafish and wild sea lions, which now helps scientists detect low levels of the toxin in marine animals. This may lead to studies of how those lower doses affect people and animals that eat the shellfish. The study was published in the Public Library of Science Journal last Wednesday. The European Space Agency has decided on a new mission to Jupiter to explore that large planet and in particular to study its icy moons and to determine if they might be potential homes for extraterrestrial life. The mission currently is called JUICE, which stands for Jupiter Icy Moon Explorer, though it will probably be renamed before launch. The spacecraft is to be launched in 2022 and won't arrive at the Jupiter system until the year 2030. So yes, now all of us are quickly calculating how old we will be when this spacecraft gets there. That just goes to show that building complex machines and getting around the solar system takes a while. The mission concept proposes a nearly five-ton spacecraft packed with 11 science instruments, that will study Jupiter, have several close flybys around the Jovian moons Callisto and Europa, and then will orbit around Ganymede. Emphasis would be put on habitability in trying to understand whether there is any possibility that these moons could host microbial life. Callisto, Europa, and Ganymede might have oceans of water below their icy surfaces. As such, they may have environments conducive to simple biology. Water, an energy source, carbon and nitrogen chemistry, and stability long enough to allow life to form. JUICE will find out if these moons do indeed have the right stuff. The total cost of the mission, including building and launching it, flight operations, and science analysis, is estimated to be about 1.1 billion euros, more than $1.4 billion. Originally, NASA was going to be involved with JUICE by building a companion satellite that would orbit the moon Europa, but NASA backed out in 2011 due to budget constraints. NASA might still be involved in providing one or two instruments or as part of instrument teams. Everyone's eager to explore Terra Incognita, those regions of the world that have yet to be mapped or documented. But many of us don't know much about the unseen forms of life that make up the external landscape, and for that matter, our internal landscape. But you can learn more by going to a Denver Café Scientifique talk tonight in Denver. The speaker is CU scientist Noah Fire, who spoke with How on Earth last September about microbes in the air. 
right now we have a poor understanding of just the geographic variability in outdoor air bacteria. Does Boulder differ from New York City? We'd assume so, but we don't actually know. We have a very poor understanding of just the types of bacteria that we're breathing in every time we step outside. Fire's talk is titled Exploring Terra Incognita, the diversity of microbes in you, on you, and all around you. It's tonight at 6.30 at Denver's Wincoop Brewery. Competing for your time tonight is a talk by Richard Martin about his new book, Super Fuel, Thorium, the Green Energy Source for the Future, at the Tattered Cover in Lodo, Denver at 7.30. Now, what's thorium, you ask? Does atomic number 90 give it away? Well, it's a naturally radioactive element on the periodic table. It is named after Thor, the god of thunder and well-known superhero. Thorium lost out to uranium decades ago as a fuel for reactors. Martin says it's much cleaner, safer, and more abundant than uranium and would be a great carbon-free energy source. Martin will also talk about his book this Thursday at 7.30 at the Boulder Bookstore. Adding to the new book talk lineup, you can hear journalist Florence Williams at the Boulder Bookstore at 7.30 tomorrow when she talks about her new book, Breasts, A Natural and Unnatural History. On Thursday, Williams will be at the Tattered Cover in Lodo, Denver, also at 7.30. Or you can listen to her half-hour interview with KGNU's Maeve Conran. Just go to www.kgnu.org slash morningmagazine. Scroll down to the May 3rd and click Download MP3. You are listening to How on Earth, the KGNU Science and Technology Show. I'm Joel Parker. We've talked about small things such as microbes that will be the stars of tonight's Denver Cafe Sci, but some things are even smaller. Protein molecules that make our bodies move, send instructions, and more. Proteomics is an emerging technology designed to identify and count the many kinds of proteins in our bodies, then figure out what all those measurements mean. And as How on Earth's Shelley Schlender tells up ahead, proteomics might someday lead to something called a wellness chip. I'm Shelley Schlender. There's a revolution in healthcare information that we're on the verge of making thanks to new technologies called proteomics, metabolomics, and the human microbiome. We're not there yet, but we're getting close. As for what kinds of medical technologies these new diagnostics will replace, let's start by looking at standard blood tests, one of the most highly valued ways to monitor health. Unfortunately, there are so many different blood tests, and the focus of each one is so narrow. It's like, well, for an analogy, here's local playwright and performer Len Barron. I'm Len Barron, and every once in a while, I particularly like reading poems. This one is titled, The Blind Men and the Elephant. It was six men of Indostan, to learning much inclined, who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant and, happening to fall against his broad and sturdy side, at once began to bawl, God bless me, but the elephant is nothing but a wall. The man who touches its leg shouts that an elephant is a pillar, 
The man who feels its tail says no, an elephant is a rope. And so these men of Indostan disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion exceeding stiff and strong, though each was partly in the right and all were in the wrong. In medicine today, blood tests often create a similar dilemma. Each test creates a snapshot, not the whole picture. And yet there's a huge desire for that one extra glimpse of what might lie ahead. That desire is so big, at a health fair in Boulder, people stand in long lines for low-cost medical checkups. One test that's especially popular gives risk factors for heart disease. A woman named Nancy has chosen this test. And as the nurse prepares to poke her arm for the blood draw, Nancy says that she'll be brave. I promise not to scream too loud. <laughs> like many people, Nancy is especially interested in learning her cholesterol level. She figures if her cholesterol level is low, it means she's at low risk for heart disease. But actually, measuring the cholesterol level is a bit like a blind man checking one part of the elephant and saying it's the whole thing. And one of the world's leading heart health scientists says that total cholesterol is a lousy predictor of heart disease risk. LDL cholesterol levels are not very different in heart attack patients versus non-heart attack patients, people that are healthy. That's Ron Krauss, director of atherosclerosis research at Children's Hospital Oakland Research Institute. Krauss says that instead of measuring cholesterol levels alone, it's better to also measure HDL. That's the healthy cholesterol that you want to have high. Krauss says it's also important to count how many bags the body uses to carry the cholesterol, bags known as LDL particles. It's a whole lot more accurate index of the risk associated with LDL than LDL cholesterol itself, and I think this is being acknowledged more widely. Has anybody told the American Heart Association this? Well, the American Heart Association does two things. It promotes scientific research and it makes statements from time to time. Certainly, I've been involved with that. But you see, their statements don't reflect this yet. No, no. There's still a lot of debate about whether we should be advancing beyond the old LDL cholesterol-based approach to risk assessment to understanding it on, on the basis of particle concentrations. And there are other measures that might be useful to add in. Unfortunately, with current tests, most of these other measures must be checked one by one with expensive tests that each require another tube of blood. So at the moment, it's still an awfully lot like the blind man who touched tiny parts of the elephant. And so these men of Indostan disputed loud and long, though each was partly in the right and all were in the wrong. Someday soon, seeing a bigger picture might get easier thanks to a new technology known as proteomics. Proteomics is a big, fancy word where omics refers to counting things, and prote refers to proteins, such as proteins in the blood. Proteomics is about identifying and counting proteins, and ideally lots of proteins at low cost and all at once. Measuring lots of proteins this way would be a good thing, because inside our bodies, proteins do a lot of things. Take LDL. LDL stands for low-density lipoprotein. LDL cholesterol is carried through the blood in protein bags that we call LDL particles. So you can count the number of protein bags to figure out the number of LDL particles. 
And when it comes to heart disease, there are all kinds of other proteins that can also be useful to count, such as C-reactive protein. That's a general marker for inflammation. LPPLA2 may be a marker for inflamed arteries. These are just a few of the many proteins that we might someday measure all at once from one tube of blood at low cost. And in some places, many of these proteins already can be measured all at once. One proteomics company is Somalogic here in Boulder. Among the hum of high-tech machines, scientists at Somalogic wear safety goggles and white lab coats as they fine-tune chemical formulations and robotic devices that measure plenty of proteins within hours, automatically, all from one single tube of blood. To show how many proteins, research scientist John Vaught hands over what looks like a simple microscope slide. Proteins, actually, in this slide right here, we would be looking at around 1,000. That's 1,000 different kinds of proteins measured all at once from a single draw of blood. Vod says this might create a medical revolution. It has the potential to diagnose diseases very early, things like cancer, cardiovascular disease. You could potentially cure a lot of these diseases by treating them at the very early stages. And the 1,000 proteins on that microscope slide are just the start. Eventually, Somalogic hopes to measure the basic proteins made by all 20,000 or so human genes, so roughly 20,000 proteins, from one tube of blood. Somalogic CEO Larry Gold says that this will make it affordable to check for several diseases simultaneously. And the beauty of the technology, the absolute beauty of the technology, which healthcare systems are going to love, is the cost to do this test and measure the stuff for five diseases will be essentially exactly the same as measuring all the things you need for 50 diseases. Gold envisions a future where instead of researchers being like the blind men touching the elephant and each getting a different idea about effects on our health, more researchers can afford to see their favorite bit of data plus other data and in this way see a bigger picture. With a more comprehensive view, Gold hopes for a time when researchers can investigate rare and seemingly incurable conditions because it's finally affordable to compare thousands of proteins all at once. He says proteomics will make healthcare more affordable because just one tube of a person's blood will allow an early warning protein check for dozens of diseases. Gold says this comprehensive information might help people make better course corrections in how they eat, exercise, and what drugs they take. In a few years, Gold says, there really might be a wellness chip. So the number, I think, is a stretch goal for the first of the wellness chips is five years, and we have to do everything right to get there. Mm, but not everyone is so optimistic. The Broad Institute in Cambridge, Massachusetts, is another world leader in the field of proteomics. Broad Institute proteomics researcher Jay Jaffe doubts that a wellness chip will be here even within the decade. We're very optimistic about how this will bear out, but <laughs> you know, by no means are, are we there yet. And he's not the only one who envisions a long time before we make a wellness chip. Who knows? <laughs> Dan Chan is a scientist at Johns Hopkins University who helped develop the first and so far pretty much the only FDA-approved diagnostic test that uses the latest in proteomics technology. Named OVA-1, Chan's test is not a wellness chip. It doesn't check for a whole bunch of diseases. It checks for only one. Currently, OVA-1 is only supposed to be used 
after a doctor finds a pelvic mass that he worries might be ovarian cancer. So this test is very narrowly focused. It's easy to wonder whether someday this OVO-1 test might be part of a routine screening to help women know something about their risk for ovarian cancer before doctors can detect a tumor mass. And it's easy to wonder whether we could use proteomics to check for hundreds of different diseases at once and do it soon. However, in the 10 years since proteomics technologies allowed researchers to measure lots of proteins all at once, OVA-1 is just about the only proteomics test that's been approved for measuring proteins in an actual patient. Back at Somalogic, Larry Gold says the technology really is ready for at least more single disease diagnostics tests developed through proteomics. This is ready for prime time. We've spent all this time trying to build something that will help people today. Last month, Somalogic published a study in the Public Library of Science showing that a Somalogic proteomics test may help with earlier diagnosis of lung cancer. Somalogic is also developing a test for pancreatic cancer. Early diagnosis of both of these diseases could make a big difference. And it's not just Somalogic that thinks so. The world's biggest laboratory company, Quest Labs, thinks so too. We're developing the, uh, the lung cancer test. We're developing the pancreatic test. Nick Conti is vice president of business development at Quest Diagnostics. Conti says he's confident that diagnostics for pancreatic cancer and for lung cancer can be done. He's less certain about a wellness chip. What is well? Well for one person may not be well for another. One of his biggest concerns is whether or not regular people can be trusted with so much information. To be able to put information into the public's hands could be very empowering, but it also could be very complex. Now keep in mind, right now there are drug companies, there are food product companies, there are research groups that all have access to this kind of information. They generally use anonymized samples, meaning John Smith is person A, Jane Miller is person B, and so on. But in these studies, John Smith and Jane Miller have not been able to see their own proteomic data. But even this may be starting to change. And one person making that change possible is the head of a big research group at Stanford University. Uh, oh, I want to give some blood. Uh, is that kind of gross you, you out? Some blood. Oh, you know what? Let me get it on tape. So you're rolling up your sleeve. You're going to have to narrate then. As you do. Right now, Mike Schneider is getting his blood taken for another big omics test. So I'm rolling up my sleeve. Uh, we're doing a blood draw this morning so that we can do another sample of one of my uh, omics profiles. And what's your name? My name is Michael Snyder. I'm chair of the Department of Genetics, and I'm also um, director of the Center for Genomics and Personalized Medicine. Snyder's been getting these blood draws once a month for around two years. In March, Snyder published a groundbreaking study in Cell that showed the most detailed biological profile of a person ever done. Plus, what happened in his blood when he became a diabetic after having a virus, and then he changed his diet and exercise and unbecame a diabetic. To be honest, the only thing I really do miss out of changing my diet is, is the ice cream. <laughs> so, but anyway, that's a small price to pay for maintaining your health. All the things that changed in his blood have been captured through all of that change in his life. So right now when you get a blood test, about 15 things are measured. But what we'd like to see uh, happen in the future is that you're measuring thousands of things. We are measuring, in fact, 40,000 different components every time. He adds that he thinks raw data could be available for anyone who did similar blood draws on themselves, but right now it's simply too expensive for everyone to do it. 
technologies. We're using a million dollar mass spectrometer. We're using a, uh, that's for measuring the proteins. We're using a $600,000 mass spectrometer for measuring the metabolites. The setup cost for this was enormous, but now we can analyze these samples for around $2,500 a piece. He predicts the cost will come down and accessibility will come up. So we're on the way. All those data points are each like a tiny piece of a huge jigsaw puzzle. One by one, they're no more valuable than the comments from blind men touching an elephant. But if there's some way that someone puts the big picture all together, it's very exciting to think what we might be able to see. With that in mind, Snyder's planning a study of 250 pre-diabetics doing the same kind of measures on them that he's been doing on himself. And will this lead to a wellness chip? Well, one possible scenario that I would like to see, but not everyone would agree with, is that there'd be a simple home test, just like you do for your glucose, where instead of, again, pricking yourself and measuring one thing, glucose, you prick yourself and you measure 5,000 things. Catching disease early is really the key. All right, so someday you'd like to see a test that people can do once a month that catches 5,000 different things at once, and that if they sign up for a $1,000 plan, they can do this once a month and get all that information. Yeah, something like that would be quite attractive. I think a lot of people would want to do that. So now you know a bit more about what it means when some of the world's leading scientists say they dream about creating a wellness chip. Lots of questions still to answer. But there is a shift taking place in all this information and technology. And while it used to be that the elephant could only be described in small doses, when it comes to information taken from our blood, perhaps more blind men are beginning to see. For How on Earth, I'm Shelley Schlender. Go to our website, howonearthradio.org, for links to extended versions of some of these interviews. You can also find out more about proteomics at CU Boulder's May 18th Gold Lab Symposium. We'll tell you more about the symposium next week when we talked with Somologic CEO Larry Gold. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Joel Parker. This week's show was produced by Susan Moran and Shelley Schlender and was engineered by Jim Pullen. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Brass Messengers and from David Michael and Randy Mead. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes and extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes. Questions or comments, call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Joel Parker. And I'm Brianna Draxler.